Thank you so much for tuning in to the Providence Community Podcast. We just, we pray today that God would do amazing things in your heart as you listen to this message. And uh, we ask for just the richest blessing on your family. And if you would like some more information about Providence Community Church, you can go to www.providencecommunity.org, or you can also download our app in the App Store. We're so thankful that you tuned in, and uh, we can't wait to celebrate all that God does in your life. I've been there too much. Um, last week, we, we talked about the importance of fathers in the kingdom, and I shared with you is that the, the reality of, of all of my studies that suppo- supposedly prepare me to stand in this position and lead the church, and all of the, the Christian institutions that, are, that supposedly get you ready to advance the kingdom and be a pastor and be whatever people need. In all my studies, I, I, uh, I, I was taught how to read the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, how to apply the Bible, how to parse Greek verbs. But I was never taught how to be a man, I said. You know that? I think that many times we, in the church, we find that we're being led by someone who has no clue what it is to be a son or a daughter. But we're led by someone that just has letters after their name. And letters after your name don't necessarily make good leadership. We're not anti-scholarship here, but we are are pro-calling, pro-identity, pro-destiny. And if you don't know how to be a man, there's no amount of schooling that's going to help you be able to make up for that. So I believe that God wants to do some really great things as far as the, the identity of sons and daughters. I said that before any, uh, any person with good Bible study methods walked the earth, there were fathers and there were mothers. It's so important that we begin to get those things right first before uh, the church can really be who she's supposed to be. And then I issued like a call out to what spiritual fathers do in a generation and said this, that spiritual fathers uh, bestow belonging, they bestow value, they bestow identity, they bestow strength, and they eliminate shame. That's what fathers do to a generation. What fathers speak to a generation is, is not shame. Why didn't you? And you need to do better. And you could have scored 15 points, but you only scored eight. That's not what fathers do. Nobody changes through shame. But fathers speak to what a generation can be, what sons and daughters can be. And they say, you are mine and you belong. You have value in my eyes. I don't care who has spoken what over you or into you. I don't care what lie you believe about yourself. When I look at you, I don't see trash. I don't see junk. I see a daughter. I see a son. I see value. I see importance. I see destiny. So when you take, when you take fathers out of society and just make, make men smart, you start losing the heart and soul and the glory and the beauty of a generation that a generation could operate in. And you begin to, to tell, tell boys that they're sons, girls that they're daughters. You begin, when, when, you, when you walk into people's lives, you don't get intimidated by their giftedness. You, 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 with your strength, you empower them. That's what men do. When men show up, the whole room gets better. And if there's, if there's a man in your life that you, you feel insecure around, like I, I can't feel like, I, I don't feel like I can be good around them. 
I feel like my strength is going to intimidate them. Then they need to know what it is to be sons again. Because real men walk in and say, hey, listen, my ceiling is your floor. I want you to start here where I stopped and be better than me. And that's what leadership is. You don't have to have a degree to do that. You just, you just, need, uh, you just need sonship, daughtership. And so today, I, I, I want to talk about this this morning, though, is, is the, the vast majority of us, I think if we want to throw a percentage on this, the vast majority of us is like 54% of us grew up in a home where we didn't have a dad that did this for us or to this or speak this to us or show up in our lives. And then if you take the, the other, the, the, those of us who maybe we, we did have a, a dad in the home, that 46% of us that's left, we did have a dad in the home. They just had no clue what this was. They, they tried but failed. It's not, that they were, it's not that they were bad people. It's just that I didn't, I didn't get strength from them. They didn't eliminate shame. They, they, they gave me shame. I, I didn't get value. I didn't get identity. I didn't get belonging. I, I really know, have no clue who I am. My dad never told me. And in fact, many of us, our situation is, even if we had a dad in the home, what we actually feel is not belonging from them, but rejection. What we actually feel, it is sad. Thank you for that. It was very sad. <laughs> it's sad. Don't you love how, how babies are more in tune with the spirit than the adults? I don't know. Seriously. Seriously, man. Just let it out. Uh, but maybe in your situation, you, you didn't get value from a father. You got devalued, and you, you, you actually literally heard that you were worthless from a father or an uncle or a granddad. I... In my situation, after me and my brother and my mom had to run away literally from an abusive situation with my stepdad, who was a farmer, knocked my mom's front teeth out, and we just jumped in the old, like, 1979 Toyota Celica and went, like, 28 miles an hour to the closest McDonald's, all right, and just cried and said, where are we going? Literally running from an abuser. You guys know that? That was part of my story. I was homeless for a while with my mom. You know that? Like, what, what my stepdad would say is, is, you guys are horrible. You guys are crap. You guys are nothing. I can't believe I ever let you into my life. And then the 65-year-old couple named the Cernoses walk into McDonald's and see us crying at a table and became spiritual parents to us and welcomed us into their house and let us live with them for six months and just bestowed <laughs> blessings on us. <laughs> this is what the church is supposed to do. I don't know if they had any degrees. I don't know if they went into institutions. I just know they were spiritual parents. They weren't insecure. They provided strength. So I, uh, I want to talk this morning about, uh, I want to talk to people that you can't celebrate that you had a good dad and that you're actually looking for how do, where do I go from here if that's the case, okay? Kind of skipping through my notes. Can you guys just give me a second here? Just like, hey, Heavenly Father, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, right? What do you want me to do here? I've got all these notes and not enough time. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to skip right to 1 Samuel chapter 24 if you have your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And uh, as you're going there, starting with, with verse 1, this is this beautiful picture, I think, of, of uh, I don't think that, 
necessarily exactly what's happened to David in this has happened to us, but maybe for some of us it's not far off. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24, here's the context, is that there's King David before he's king. He's anointed king, but he's not actually in the position of king yet. He's God's anointed king, and then there's Saul, who's in the position of king, but has lost his anointing. God no longer sees him as king, but Saul is trying to grasp for that position of kingship with all of his heart and might, and it's making him one of the most selfish leaders you've ever seen making everything about him. And you've got David who's, who's anointed but not there yet who is actually married to this selfish King Saul's daughter. So actually this king who hates David because David's strength and his anointing is, is now making him nervous. You see in this, you see this weirdness? Instead of saying, hey, I would love my ceiling to be your floor. King David, God's anointed you. I'll back out here and just celebrate the future that God has for Israel. Instead of doing that, he is trying to kill David because he sees him as competition. He sees him as a threat. He's literally hunting David out of this, out of this jealousy. I want to stay on top. I want to stay on top. You know, jealousy, <laughs> jealousy is so demonic. And I would encourage you to let the Holy Spirit come and heal you and chase jealousy out of your soul the moment you begin to even feel a twinge of it. In order to do this, though, in order to hunt David, David has a little band of brothers, about 400 men. But Saul puts together an army of 3,000 warriors to hunt David through the wilderness, and here's where we pick up the stories. For Samuel chapter 24, verse, uh, verse 3, actually, David's hiding in a cave as Saul's hunting him. In verse 3, he says, there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. I just love verses like that. I just want to, just like, oh, yeah, God, God's real. Like, he's a, he does say those things. So Saul's in this cave, and he's just uh, using it as his restroom. But what the cool thing is is that David with his 400 warriors are in that cave, in the back, in the darkness, in the shadows, and Saul doesn't know. And so when you look at verse 4 here of, of this chapter, it says, And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. So basically what they're saying is, David, this is a gift. The man who's hunting you, the man who's afraid of you, the man who's jealous of you, you can do the whole world and especially yourself a favor by getting him while he's going. Well, when he doesn't see it coming, He's, this is a gift. Now, it's interesting. David's band of brothers here are made of 400 people, but they're not hand-selected warriors. They're people who came to David because they're angry at the system. They're broken. They're hurting. They're, they're runaway slaves. And so a bunch of wounded people, when you get a bunch of wounded people in your life, this is the kind of advice that they give you. Oh, Kill him. Kill him. Now, it's interesting, though, 
that if you keep reading here, let's keep reading. Here's the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I would have loved to have seen that, how that worked out. And afterward, here's what happens. David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, now this, is, this is strange to me. Now, just imagine this. Your men are telling you to kill Saul. Saul is right there. It almost seems like this is a divine appointment, but instead of killing him, you go and you cut off a corner of the king's robe, and you have it here, and then you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit for having done so. This doesn't feel right, does it? This doesn't seem right. It seems like you actually did, like, uh, the doubly good. It seems like that. You didn't take your opportunity to kill Saul. You, you, didn't, you didn't give in to the, the hurting advice of your, of your band. You just cut a little piece to have evidence to say, hey, Saul, I didn't do to you what I could have done. Now, here's what happens after all this, starting with verse 6. And he said to his men, this is David saying to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Now listen to the terminology of that. He's not just tossing words out. He's, he's saying, I'm being convicted by the Holy Spirit because I actually stole something from the, from the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did, per, did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. But it continues. Verse 8, afterward David also arose and went out. So David followed Saul out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. Now, now Saul was trying to kill David. Why are you calling him my lowercase lord? Why are you using a word of honor? David, this is not the king in God's eyes. You're the king in God's eyes. Why are you still referring to him as a man in this position? My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. This is, a, this is a, like, like a double honor portion. Saul, the person who had murdered David in a second, turns and looks at David, and David bows with his face to the ground, paying homage. Strange. In verse 9, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? It could be, I think this is, this is alluding to the reality that Saul has himself surrounded by people who are just telling Saul what he wants to hear. And what Saul wants to hear is, you should be king. God doesn't know what he's doing. David is a nobody. David's actually speaking badly against you. He just wants the throne. He wants the throne. He wants the throne because God's given it to him. Saul is surrounded by people who are not speaking the heart of the Father. And he listens to them. Look at verse 10. Behold this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. And then he, he, then he makes it family. See my father. You're my father-in-law. See, Dad? See the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. 
Guys, as we're reading this, and I would say that this is a situation where you've got a, a bad father-in-law, a man who's not a man, a man who just what, wants what he wants, a man who is afraid of other people's strengths, a man who isn't operating in the father's heart but is, is trying to orchestrate his world so he has no competitors. You see a man like that hunting a man that God has a heart for and a calling on and a destiny, and you see this crazy thing, and you see the one who is hunting is actually receiving honor, and the one who's being hunted is actually paying homage. You see this, and you say, what does this have to do with being a good son or daughter to a dad who's not one? What does this have to do how, how, how would this speak to somebody who's in pain from a dad who took instead of gave? How would this speak to someone who spoke rejection instead of belonging? How, how would this, what does this have to do with anything? Because actually, upon reading this, it makes me feel worse. It reminds me of my past or my present. God, I have to deal with people like this all day, just idiots, taken from me chasing me down, hunting my life, though I've done nothing and only brought blessing. We can read this and we can say that, can't we? Or we can say this. Here's the part, I just, just, I just want you to get this. I, just, I want to say this in such a way that it lands on hearts ready to receive. Listen, get, get ready to, instead of building a wall around your heart, get ready, just, just kind of tell that wall to fall down, and I'm going to receive even at a place where it's painful to do so. Because here's what this passage is talking about when it comes to us operating with fathers who weren't fathers. So when we look at the life of David, David deals with a bad father through honor. David deals with a bad father through honor. And I would just say to, to some of us here that what we think when, when our dad has hurt us and what we want to do to them is we want to strategically tear them down the way that they've torn us down. We pray for opportunities to publicly malign them and so others can see that we were victimized and they, they are finally getting theirs. But I want to tell you, that's not how a kingdom family operates. And actually, even with fathers who weren't good, the Bible actually says the antidote to our pain in this area is to honor those people. Now, honor is a foreign concept in our day. I know we talk about honor when we, when we watch movies about like medieval knights, chivalry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on the battlefield as an honorable death. Or we think of it like samurai soldiers, like back in the day in Japan. Coming out of uh, the bamboo forest, like, like with honor blazing in their, in their souls. But today, we don't, we don't get honor in the least. It's a foreign concept, nearly lost today, that God's calling the church to revive again. Because where honor is present, it ushers in healing. It's people getting theirs doesn't usher in healing. Revenge doesn't usher in healing. Honor does. Honor does. Honor postures the heart to receive from your real father in heaven. Many of us, if we're looking to our earthly fathers to be what only our heavenly father can be, it's just going to equal pain. But when your heart lines up with heaven 
and you begin to honor your dad just because he was your dad. Whether he did his best or whether he didn't, it doesn't matter. God calls us to honor. Whether he's hunting you down in caves in the wilderness, it doesn't matter. Now, let me tell you what honor is not. Honor is not agreement with your dad or your boss or your uncle or your principal or whoever. Honor is not agreement. You don't have to agree with them to honor them. Honor is not affection. You don't, have to, you don't have to feel good about them. You don't have to do that. That's not honor. Honor is none of the, I can totally disagree and genuinely not like a person, but still operate in honor toward that person. You don't have to like everybody, guys. You don't. Love doesn't always necessarily mean like. Well, I think that God likes us. Sometimes me and my wife, we don't always like each other, but we keep going after each other until we like each other again. Sometimes you don't always like your kids. Did you seriously make slime and spread it all over the couch? <laughs> what? What? Flip it over. <laughs> Got to keep rolling. You don't always feel, you don't always feel good. But here, here's what, listen to this about honor. Look at verse 11. It, David says, see my father. He never accuses his dad of what his dad's really doing. See, murderer. Never says that. See my father? He actually goes family on the guy. See my father. See the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there's no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life. You know what honor is? Is honor is this. This is your sin debt. It's your issue. I know you've been the kind of man that would love to make it my fault. Son, I'm only hunting you because you deserve it. I'm only hunting you because you had it coming. I'm only hunting you because you're not courageous enough to stand and fight me like a man, toe to toe, fist to fist. See, men like this who aren't men are just trying to use people to make themselves feel like men. Victimizing people as they go. Here's David's man enough to say, I'm not in agreement with what you're doing. I didn't do any wrong. I have not sinned against you. This is your issue. This is not my fault. I have not sinned. But I'm going to call you Father. Continues in verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. I love this. Then the honoring way, David is saying, I pray that God judges you, and I pray that God avenges me. But I'm gonna, not going to be bound to bitterness over you for another day of my life. It's releasing a person to be judged instead of operating in the unhealth, and that would be protecting them. If someone's being ruthless in your life, and has wrapped you into a system of abuse. You're not doing them a favor by helping to continue the situation and protecting them. You need to cry foul. God will avenge me and judge you for this. I'm getting out from under this. But you can do it in an honoring way. You can do it without seeing this person as your enemy and guarding your heart. 
The second, but my hand shall not be against you. My hand shall not be against you. I will not orchestrate the rest of my days to figure out how how I get you back for this. I'm gonna trust God to fight for me because he promises to. I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna trust God to be my shield in the battle. I'm gonna trust God to avenge me, but I'm not taking matters into my own hands. In this case, I'm operating in honor. I'm refusing to make you an enemy. I'm refusing to wear your offense. I'm not bowing to your jealous disease. Some of us, if we want to, honor would say this, I'm not wearing your woundedness. This is not my fight. Dad. Instead of garnering and Garnering support from the wounded. Did you hear my dad? 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 My dad, my dad. Let's all get together as the wounded and begin to run from him and continue to play the victim hiding in caves. Instead of doing that, God actually says, you want to welcome healing into your life. Begin to honor your parents. You know the Bible is just simply, you know what the Bible says to kids? Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Do you think God just didn't know what he's talking about when he inspired those words? Oh, honor your father and mother, assuming they're going to operate in perfection, the heartbeat of heaven. I just honor them. No, 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 no. This is just honor your father and mother. The word honor actually, actually has some of these connotations. High respect. Great esteem. Due to the person or their role or position. That's what honor is. Why? See, this makes no sense to us today because this is not how we think. We think, okay, do I agree with that person? No. And then we bash them. Do I like them? Do I even agree with the position that they fulfill? No. Just whatever then. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says this. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor who's throwing Christians by the masses into the ring to be eaten by wild animals, pulled in pieces by chariots and horses. For the gospel, honor that guy. What? We don't know the power of this biblical concept. It's hypocrisy. When we decide to, quote, unquote, honor people that we just agree with, because that's not what honor is or does. I, uh, I keep telling you about my son's basketball games. The worst part of my son's basketball games are the referees. You just wonder, you wonder what, why they insist on getting people who can't do life without bifocals, like, <laughs> to be in these positions. It's like, there's just, it's just not right. Like, do you need another pair, like maybe you forgot your contacts, right? You have these refs really doing their job. And I've seen some good refs and I've seen bad ones. And sometimes the refs make the most horrible calls and I tell them, yo, dude, like, like he like, it wasn't him, dude. I, it's not that I agree with the ref. But when my son comes home and says, my coach has told me that we lost the game because of the referees, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You lost the game because you lost. 
You lost this game because you got beaten and the other team was better. We're going to get you better next year, man. We're going to get that team good. But you are not going to throw the referees under the bus to make yourself feel better. They're in a position that needs to be honored. You can disagree with them all you want. And it was a bad call, buddy. But we're not going to, there's not a license to hate these people now. David knew that Saul was an idiot. Is that legal to say in a sermon? Is that, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But he still honored him as his anointed king and father. I would say this, that though King Saul was in error, he was still honored because he was in the, because of his position and because of the person that he was. Honor calls us to treat people according to who God says they are, not according to who others have said they are. That's what honor does. Romans 12.10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You know what the culture of the church should be? The culture of the church should be this competition not to be better than everybody else, but to honor others over ourselves left and right. The, the, the world should walk into here like all like, you know, fake smiles and like, okay, I'm ready to be judged. I think I can handle this for an hour and a half. And they should just be like, like a tidal waves of honor coming in their direction. This is what the world is longing for. Someone that would look at them and say, hey, they, they may have had a horrible night last night. They may not smell the part. They may not look the part. I may not be able to pick them out as a Christian on the streets, but since they are an image bearer, I honor them as a human being. This is what the church has lost. It's what the church has lost. There has to be new competition in the church. How do, we, how do we blow other people's hearts up? How do we blow them alive to see what they can be, what they should be? You don't shame people into the kingdom. You honor them in. This is what the world needs to hear. And it's not agreeing with everything. Like, th- those of us who don't get this will say, oh, I can't agree with this. You don't know what honor is then. You can disagree with the call. You can disagree with the life. But you've got to honor the person for who they are. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone. Why? What position does everybody hold that would cause for biblical honor to be poured out on them? Everyone. If honor, you honor the person due to their role or position, what position? Everybody doesn't have the same position. Well, you start with, with image bearer. You start with human being, created with value and worth in God's sight. It's the atmosphere of the church. I just imagine that. I imagine that instead of a gossip complaint festival that the church can really be, did you hear? Oh, yeah, I don't even know what they're thinking. Those the decisions, the decisions. Oh, yeah, see, if I was in charge, there's, I'd be axing people. We, we'd finally turn back to the remnant church. But what if the church is actually known for honoring people, like at the leader talk on Friday night? 
where dozens and dozens of leaders get together and all we do is we just celebrate God's sightings in their, in their lives. We don't pick out, hey, Mike, you could really get better at this. And hey, Philip, if you could just get better at that, we'd finally be going somewhere. And Julie, and you make her cry. You make everyone, you just, just really make everyone feel bad. So you just really get them going, get them fired up for, that, for a new day. It's not how it works. It's honor welcomes heaven. Honor says there's hope for the future. Honor says who I am now is not going to define who I can be in Jesus. Honor welcomes blessing. Do you know this? Honor welcomes the supernatural. Honor your father and mother. Listen, Exodus 20, 12 and Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that has a promise associated with it. It's the honor one. It's the honor one, guys. It's the honor one. What about the murder one? If I don't murder anybody, isn't that good? What about the adultery one? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's got to be blessing attached to that. No, it's the honor one. Honor your father and mother. And here's that it will go well with you. It's, it's like you're, you're ushering in wellness when you're operating in honor. What if my dad's like Saul? Well, you don't want to rob yourself of an honor blessing. Just, just welcome in wellness. They may live long in the land. Life, presence, abundance, goodness. Just let heaven come. Let the kingdom advance. I've already said this, but the enemy of honor is jealousy. But honor destroys jealousy. It's hard to be jealous of a person that you're celebrating. It's really hard. And so I think if you're a, if you can't genuinely rejoice, like you know the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Someone gets blessed. And you're like, oh, in church, oh. <laughs> and you go to Mod Pizza and you're just like, God, where's mine? That's like, the, that's like the fourth time she's been blessed this year. Where's mine? We just keep honoring your day's coming. The test of honor is can you genuinely rejoice when others succeed? Succeeding in a way that you wish you could. But you just keep rejoicing with them. You just keep blowing them up. You just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. So if you want to operate in this, here's, here's actually the crazy thing. If you're going to welcome this into your heart, I think you have to welcome this in so honor comes and then the healing follows. So you don't wait till you get healed. Say, oh, God just never healed me. I'm a victim even of God. God wouldn't heal me, so I couldn't honor. No, no, you honor. And healing follows. So what I would actually encourage you to do is, is I would actually get comfortable with being honored. Like Mike and I did not have that plan this morning when I sat there trying to choke back tears because I know he's going to have to talk and Keith is standing up and Keith's like looking at me in the face like laughing like this, like, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's standing there just looking around. It's just like, wow, God, like this feels so unnatural here. But, but you just got to get comfortable with having somebody say something good about you and then not have to toss out, well, the glory to God, glory to God. Just being able to say thanks, thanks. That's a glorious thing, just say thanks. God's not offended by that. 
God likes that, his sons and daughters are just beginning to operate and who they were destined to be and just say thanks, get comfortable with being honored. Do you know that when the son came home in the prodigal son story, the father, uh, after he falls on him, kisses him, cries on him, you know what he does? He puts a ring on his finger, he puts a robe on his back, he puts shoes on his feet, he dresses him like a prince in a king's house. He's saying, son, you better get comfortable with being honored because if, if you're in my kingdom family, this is how I roll, baby. This is what we do. This is what I do. It's two verses I, I keep. Uh, I know I don't have time for this, and, but I had these last week, and I have them this week. Before I pray, I want to share these. Psalm 2710, it says, For my father and mother have forsaken me, and many of us know the pain of that, but the Lord will take me in. Guys, you got to hear this. you got to hear this. The Lord will take me in. Listen, you're not necessarily defined by, by what physical father and mother did. The Bible actually says, can a woman forget her child and have not compassion on the son of her womb? Surely she will forget, but I will not forget you, says the Lord. You may be forgotten by your earthly parents, but you will not be. You're always seen by your heavenly father. You have to see this. So we don't have perfect fathers in this day. Who, who does? But we do have our Heavenly Father who wants to be for us more than we could ever know. He sees us and he comes after us and his goodness pursues us. Psalm 66, 68, 5 and 6 says this, Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Listen, single moms, God is a protector of your heart. Just keep following him. Let him keep honor on you. Let, let, him, let, uh, let him speak over to you. Good girl, you just stay strong. You just keep following me, and I'm going to be for your children what you can never be on your own. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, guys. This is the heart of the Father. This is how the kingdom family works. So guys, I think that there's actually burden and, and bondage where in some of our hearts where we actually think that it's pride to receive honor. If I receive it, then I'm not going to be godly. What are they going to think if I don't get up and say, ah? I think God just wants to take us into a new season, into a new place where the honor in the kingdom can spread like wildfire, usher healing into the house, and then we take it to the streets. If it's not healthy in here, like what are we going to do at Giant? You know? I think God's, God's maybe encouraging some of us. I, instead, of, instead of rallying hundreds of people around me that would, what would share in my misery, and then when the time comes, they would give me the wrong advice out of their pain, I think God's beginning to say, you know, I, I want to use you as a pioneer of honor, an honor pioneer in this day. And I want to begin to break off demonic strongholds through honor. And your dad is not going to have power over you anymore as you just, as you just honor and you're not going to agree, but you're definitely not going to stay under that, that nonsense and that unhealth. But the, your heart is not going to be a place of bitterness anymore. And then healing comes. And healing comes. So God, I just pray this. I pray this into every soul and in every heart here, God. Just pray, God, that you would you just release uh, a grace of your spirit just to begin to operate in honor once again, God. That the church would be known for honoring, it's, it's honoring. That we just, we just share honor, speak honor, and operate in honor over one another. Honor everyone. 
honor everyone. God, I just pray that we would look at people again, no matter what background, no matter what race, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what, what side of the tracks, God, no matter what, what place in the, in the world, God, no matter the, their past or their per- position or their persuasion, God. I pray we'd look at people as image bearers. I, bl- I, I, I pray that we would look at people and we would, we would long for the voice of the Father to ring true over their lives. Pray this, God. May we be a church that operates in this. And may you heal hearts. May you heal people in these days. God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you, God, that your kingdom family is a kingdom of honor. God, you're not trying to squelch us. You're trying to welcome us back. Just welcoming us back, God. We just want to operate in the honor of your kingdom once again. We want to be just a a light in a dark place, God. A light in the dark place. We want to bring this life to dead places, God. We want to bring this, this, uh, this kingdom hope, God, to desperate places, God. We want to bring this, this heavenly reality to hellish places, God. Drive back the darkness in our day, we pray. We bless you. We praise you. We're open to your move in these days. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, the, there's going to be a prayer.